Hello and welcome to Her House, Her Home, episode number three. I'm your host, Amy Wicker. As we celebrate International Women's Day, we want to acknowledge the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women around the world. Today's special guest is U.S. historian and professor Melanie Gowen. Professor Gowen teaches at the University of Kentucky, is an author, and specializes in women's history. She's joining us today to talk about the advances women have made throughout the years, and she'll be discussing the history of women and property rights. Welcome, Professor Gowen. So we're going to get started, and we're going to talk just a little bit about International Women's Day and month. Um, how would you say how would you say women are faring today? Well, you know, I mean, studying history, and I talk to students who. You know, if you ask them 50 years ago was, uh, that could be 300 years as far as they're concerned. But when they stop to really realize how quickly things do change and how over even, say, a 50-year span of time, we do see some really important changes. And so I want to recognize that. I mean, we always have um, examples of you know, the the rights of women that have increased over these even just few decades, but certainly still a long way to go. I mean, if we look at equal pay for equal work, COVID has really emphasized the burdens that are placed on women, um, a, a second job at home, the, the combining family and work responsibilities and how many women were pushed out of the workforce Mm-hmm. Because of that during COVID, I think that was a really good reminder that we still have a long way to go. And especially for women of color and the challenges that that additionally brings, we certainly have room for improvement and progress. Do you think that, you know, one of the positives that will come out of COVID is because this issue was really brought to the forefront. Do you think, are you more optimistic now that we might make some headway in terms of, you know, equal rights, equal pay, even paid maternity or more maternity benefits? Are you more optimistic about that now or not so much? Yeah. I mean, I think the equal work for equal pay is a really challenging problem because in, in a lot of cases, women are choosing to leave the workforce and those interruptions really do impact pay over time. But, you know, suddenly men were home and women at the same time. And I know a lot of guys who have said, hey, I realize what a challenge this is. And they were living through it, too. And so I think there's a decent amount of empathy that that generated. And, you know, now that we can work from home or work from anywhere especially trailing partners. I'm in academia. And so if one person gets a job, oftentimes the other spouse is really left in a lurch. And now we can be more flexible in where we're working. And so I do think that is going to improve things for women. But that equal pay issue has been a problem for centuries. And I don't see that changing here very rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, you know, when this, this time comes around every year, is there, does it hold special meaning for you? And what are your thoughts just about the, the day and how, and I know, you know, you have a daughter, um, 
Uh, yeah. Do you do anything to celebrate or what, what does this time mean for you? Yeah, you know, for me, March is always a really busy month because suddenly everyone wants to have someone come and talk about women's history. And so my calendar gets booked up really quickly. And so I guess when I think of March, I'm often thinking how busy I'm going to be, which is a good thing. But at the same time, it's kind of like Valentine's Day. My husband and I don't celebrate Valentine's Day because I kind of figure every day should be a day that we, you know, I don't, I don't like to pick out one special day or a special month. I think, you know, it, it, teaching people, getting them to understand that these are issues that deserve more than just someone coming in and talking about Abigail Adams or talking about uh, a a really prominent woman. That's not enough to, right get us where we need to be going. And so I would say, well, you know, these special days, I get why we, we do hold them up. And, and this day, International Women's Day, going back more than a hundred years where women realized, hey, especially across oceans, across national, international boundaries, we need to be looking at what our common problems and challenges are and and part of this was issues like peace and things that maybe we're not thinking about as much today, but women coming together saying we have common interests and we really need to make sure that we're leveraging that and making other people aware of it too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I definitely feel like women need to do a better job of lifting up other women. Really. And I think and that's part of the reason why, you know, I felt strongly about doing this podcast and really trying to get women to embrace homeownership, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. And knowing that there are possibilities for them out there. They just have to talk to people, work with people and educate themselves. Right. So, yeah. So let's um, we'll move forward here. Any um, any unsung heroes that you feel don't maybe get enough attention this time of year. If you want to name one or two of them, that would be awesome. I'd love to hear, you know, who you think needs some recognition that maybe doesn't yeah, always get and I, I mean, this, I could spend hours and I, I talked <laughs> to my daughter and said, oh yes, yeah, you know, uh, what, what were, what are a couple of women if I were to pick out? And one, I would say one comes from my research um, a woman named Mary Breckenridge, who is from Kentucky, who she she married, she had a couple of children, they died very young, and she was of a class. This was in the early 20th century, and women were supposed to stay home, especially if you were coming from a more priv- privileged background. And So now her children died. She didn't know what to do with herself. And she went out and established a nursing organization called the Frontier Nursing Service. It became nationally and internationally known. And if you've had a midwife deliver a baby, you can thank Mary Breckenridge for that because she pioneered. This was a kind of medical care that was dying away. Uh, midwives were associated with untrained practitioners where women wanted a doctor. They wanted the best care available. Mary Breckenridge said, look, you can be trained as a nurse, trained as a midwife, highly trained, 
And especially in rural areas, this is a really practical solution to the lack of caregivers. And that has become what we know with nurse midwifery today. So Mary Brackenridge is one. Awesome. That's awesome. She's very special. And that's, um, and it's quite a growing field from what I understand as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think it's about 13% of women today deliver with a, a, a nurse midwife. Um, that's great. That's great. Do you have, do you have another one for us? Yeah. Yeah. So everyone knows Rosa Parks, but I will mention her because we don't know. Most people do not know Rosa Parks and what she really represented and stood for. We always think of her one day, she says, my feet are tired. I'm not going to sit. I'm not going to give up my seat on the bus. And we freeze her in that moment. When yeah. rea- in reality, she was a dedicated race woman, as it was known at the time. She was training in nonviolent resistance. Her big issue that she was most concerned with was sexual abuse of black women. The police, you know, black women's bodies were yeah. seen as public property. And she she fought that. And that's part of her story that has been lost. We've kind of sanitized it, simplified it. I don't like Correct. that. We need to Correct. remember Rosa Parks. For yeah, more. no, that's awesome. And I'm assuming she spent, she dedicated her life to that. Oh yeah. 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 From a young age to her dying days. Yeah. Right. Right. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you for bringing those two up very, very much. So, Mm -hmm. um, all right. So we're going to talk, you know, the podcast is really designed for women, single women, women who are divorced, who are widowed, Uh, you know, back in, in the day, women really weren't, weren't allowed to own property. So things have changed over the years, obviously. So can you just give us a little bit of history about women and, you know, becoming owners, uh, you know, buying property, that kind of thing. Just walk us through some of the highlights. Is there one piece of legislation that really changed things for women? Yeah. Well, I will say, you know, when we think about women's history, I think what comes to mind first is people think of getting the vote, you know, in the 19th Amendment, which was a huge triumph. But Mm -hmm. for women of the 19th century, property rights were on their minds, first and foremost. And and so this was a reform that they are seeking throughout the 19th century. Uh, One thing you need to understand right off the bat is this was a state issue. States determined the Mm -hmm. laws around property ownership. And so from place to place, it varied. But in general, in the United States, women were it, 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 well, two categories of women, let me say that too. If you were a single woman, you're treated under the law very differently than a married woman. Mm-hmm. A femme soul, as it was known, uh, a single woman had more rights than someone who's married. Once you married, you were covered by the identity of your husband, mm-hmm. coverture, as it mm-hmm. was known. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, William Blackstone, the jurist, he talked about a woman being kind of placed under the wing of his husband and yeah. his public identity subsuming any kind of identity she had on her own. And so that was really important and controlled 
women's access to any kind of property. Now, two two categories of property in the United States. One was your realty, real estate uh, structures on that property. The other was known as personality or movable property. So this could be your bedstead, your your furniture, your yeah. clothing that you wore, your jewelry, any of that is yeah. movable property. And so those two things were treated a little differently. But women lacking control over anything they brought into a marriage, from the day yeah. they married, it became her husband's to control. Mm-hmm. Now, parents could do something about this. And sometimes mothers were really keen on protecting what was their daughters and what they were Mm -hmm. coming in with. And so they would set up a separate, basically a trust as we know it today. But that costs money. It would eat away at what you were inheriting. And women really that that frustrated them. But a man, the husband getting to make the decisions on how Mm -hmm. property was used. And (laughs) It was really important that you pick the right guy because if yeah. you did not, forget <laughs> yeah. about it. You were in a heap of trouble and, and to, to divorce was nearly impossible in a lot of places. He could make or break you yeah. and gamble away everything you had or drink it away. Yeah. So, so women left very vulnerable under a system that provided them few rights. Now- mm-hmm. Over the 19th century, this starts to change and states adopt more progressive laws, um, giving women some some control. New York was one that was uh, leading the way. A lot of states copied what New York was doing. Some southern states, deep south states. And they do this because after the Civil War and the end of slavery, a lot of men find themselves really cash strapped. Creditors are coming after them. And they find that by giving their wives some rights, they can protect their assets. So often when rights are advancing for women, it's not because it's in their interest. It's in the interest of men. The men. Correct. It's interesting you say that because I was doing some um, research on some property um, there's actually a park in Chicago called Wicker Park, and um, it's my distant cousin. We were doing some research on her family, and um, it was interesting because the property had been moved into his wife's name, and we we couldn't figure that out. So that goes right into ta- it goes right in line with kind of yeah. what we found with this particular situation. We were scratching our heads like. We know she didn't own it, but he moved it and he put it into her name. So mm-hmm. um, so it does seem, and from the research I've done too, if there is a benefit, <laughs> I hate to say this, if there's a benefit for the men to give women access and give women these options, they're going to do it, right? I hate yeah. to say that. I yeah. do. But um, anyway, so, so was there, what do you think it was the driving force? You think the war was the driving force in that they well, the realized- you know, and part of it is because the nation's industrializing, people are moving around a lot more instead of staying in one place. That has something to do. And the women's rights movement, which by the 1840s, women are starting to say, hey, 
<laughs> we got some problems here. And, and these are the solutions that we want to see. And so they are emphasizing this. Now, part of it, too, every once in a while we see women giving given more rights because in the United States, private property has always been sacred. It has been a keystone of American values, what we stand for. And so we do see some women leveraging that whole old argument about no taxation without representation. I'll give you an example. In Kentucky, some women, a very few women, are voting in 1838, which is way earlier than you see in most places. And the rationale, it, it, it's because some people are saying women who are taxpayers, single women there again, they're, they're being allowed to vote in school elections, but if they are property owners... Some men are saying, oh, okay, wait a minute. Property ownership should confer certain powers to have a, you should have a voice if you're a property owner. And, And women can use that as kind of an entering wedge then to to demand more rights because in the U S we do respect that argument that property rights should come with some, some representation. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. sense. Yeah. No. Well, I think too, um, it's interesting too, because I was reading somewhere um, that women really focused on what they could, which was academia. So they went into the schools and they educated and through the education, you know, you can do a mm-hmm. lot in the educational system in raising awareness and educating kids, right? Yeah. About how things, how things should be, right? And they um, were very, very focused on young girls and helping to widen yes. their, yes, the, yeah, horizons. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's for sure. All right. Well, that sounds, um, it sounds very, very good. I think uh, it's just, it's so hard to believe it wasn't that long ago. It was not that long ago. You know, women didn't have credit cards in their name. It's just, you know, yeah. you think about the things that have happened and then <laughs> it really, it really wasn't long ago, but now women yeah. are out getting their own mortgages and they're, they're figuring it out, which is really exciting to see. And there are now more single women going out buying homes than single men, which I think is really interesting. Really interesting. Well, let, let me connect with that because you know, when we're thinking about, well, what what helps to move us in new directions toward more equitable system? And the federal government, U.S. policy is one of the driving forces. And what made me think about that is the Homestead Act in the 1860s, where U.S. government's giving away free land, much of it in the West. And there are certain stipulations on who can claim this land, but notably, it says he or she can claim land. Now, you got to be, I think, 21 years old. You've got to stay on that property for a certain amount of time. You've got to improve it, do things to prove up, as it was called. But women are doing this. They're going to places like Montana. They're claiming their 160 acres. Later, it's 320 acres. And, and, some studies have shown they're more successful actually at proving up than men. Um, so that is opening a huge door for a lot of women. Yeah. And the federal government's the one that's 
kind of driving that change. They're also letting African Americans, mm-hmm. um, Native Americans, not always treated as well under some of those federal policies. But land ownership, land ownership's always been seen as a keystone of democracy in a, yep. a democratic society. People need a stake. Yeah. And they get that through land ownership. Yeah, for sure. That's for sure. Well, I think if you, um, you know, and I'm going to bring you into the present now because I, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I'm sure you've got other interviews scheduled. Um, but if there's anything that we can be doing today to help move the effort and advance the effort forward, what are you what do you recommend? I still see education as a huge uh a a lever to promote change and courses in gender and women's studies, which, you know, I think some young women have shied away from those classes and there's, there's, there's a certain view that those are too radical that, or that we've, we've, overcome these problems, you yeah. know, why, yeah. why do we yeah. need to keep dredging this up? And we do, we need to be studying and thinking about women's position and, 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 and so education right there alone, yeah. I think mentorship and you kind of alluded yes. to women yes. assisting other women, opening those doors. Yes. And, and the more we've had women, you know, I'm a full professor at UK. That has been a rank that often women, even in academia, they didn't didn't sort of move up to the point where then you're in a position where you can be providing a hand up to other women. Yeah. Um, so yeah. those are those are things that I think encourage your kids. Helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I know that when I went to college we didn't have those kinds of courses. I mean, and it, you know, that was a few years ago. I won't tell you how many, but it was a few, it was a few. So it really is exciting and encouraging to see, to see what's available to our, our daughters, granddaughters today. It really Mm -hmm. is um, an exciting time. And I'm grateful that our daughters don't feel like maybe that this is a pressing issue um, that, that, that these are victories that have been won. That, that is wonderful. But certainly the historian in me would say, remembering this history is something we need to do for our own pr- protecting rights because rights sure. that are won are no, they can be lost, Correct. but also to honor and understand the sacrifices, the people that sure. before us, that's right. Before us made. That's right. We owe it to people to do that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Thank you so much. This was lovely. And it was lovely talking to you. Um, Let me just say, it's so great to meet you too. And hopefully we'll meet in person at some point soon. Um, Yes. So FYI, both of our daughters go to the University of Utah and are good friends. So that's exciting. Um, Maybe we'll meet in Salt Lake City one day. Um, But is there anything else you want to add that you can think of that we haven't touched on that you'd like to talk about? No, I, you know, if you're interested in these things, there's really great books, um, uh, uh, some documentaries. 2020 was the anniversary of the 19th Amendment. So women's rights have gotten a lot of attention in recent years. Go back and watch some of those. Yeah. Uh, or read. 
do some reading and really use this month, March as a, yeah. a good time to, yeah. to uh, dig in a little. If you would like to read more about women's history, Professor Gowen has written two books, one on the life of Mary Breckenridge that she mentioned earlier in the show. And in 2020, she published A Simple Justice, Kentucky Women Fight for the Vote. We'll include links to those books below in our show notes. Now, if you've enjoyed the podcast and want to hear more, please hit subscribe. We're always looking for good stories. So if you have one that you would like to share about owning your own home, or if you have an issue you're dealing with and you're not certain how to resolve it, feel free to reach out. I'm your host, Amy Wicker. Until next time, thanks for joining us.